0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the mind. The best love programs from radio's golden age. Only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is an American detective drama created by Blake Edwards, which aired on radio from 1949 to 1953. And I really like Dick Powell's lighthearted delivery and his little quips that he tosses off with almost impish glee. Tonight, we'll find Richard is visited by a client who wants assistance in a murder he's planning.
2: Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective.
3: Is this the Diamond Detective Agency? Yeah. Down, up, round, and down. Mr. Diamond, I presume? Yes, and maybe no. Down, up. I, I, I don't understand you. Uh, yes, I'm Diamond, and you're not presuming on me, not if you're a client. Oh, no, that's not what I mean. What is that object you're playing with? Uh, this. This is a yo-yo. You make it go down, up, round, and down. See? Uh, yes, yes. But, but I came in on business, Mr. Diamond. I want to hire you. Just drop it like this. Down up. As a detective. Oh. Well, a hundred a day in expenses, and i throw on the yo-yo lessons free. You'll me the Mr. Diamond. Are you in it business? Do you have the hundred a day? I do. I am. That's fine. Your name? Oh, I, I can't tell you that. Goodbye. <whistles> Will you kindly put that thing away? I have a terrible head. Oh, I don't know. It's not so bad. Carve it yourself. Why, you insufferable... Now, wait a minute. Until we've had a formal introduction, the word insufferable is your ticket for a new set of dentures. Now, why don't we get formal and save your gums that lonely feeling? I told you my name is not important. That I believe. but well, let's kick it around anyway. Is that necessary? Look, look, you said you wanted to hire me. So either tell me your name or what you wanted me to do, or let me get back to my practicing. Uh, I should find another detective, but you came highly recommended, so... All right. Uh, you can call me, uh, Johns. Other wife? What? Forget it. Initials on your briefcase read JB. Oh, oh, that, it, it's one I borrowed. So, now that I've conquered your coins, what's the pitch? Pitch? Oh, oh! you mean my assignment. Oh, it's very simple. But first, I must insist that no word of this conversation leaves your office. So far, no one would believe it anyhow. But my ethics are in good order, Mr. Johns. Good, good. This must be kept very secret. Shall I pull down the blinds and stuff the keyhole? Oh, that shan't be necessary, thank you. Your secret is... Uh, Murder, Mr. Diamond. Oh, I just knew you were going to say that. Where's the corpse? The corpse? Oh, that's what I came to you for. I want to have professional advice on every angle before I kill. Now, you've had police experience, Uh, unless my hearing aid's on the blink, you're saying you want to commit a murder. Oh, not want. I'm going to, this evening. Oh. What do you want me for, the victim? Oh, I have the victim, the opportunity, method, uh, and the man to handle the uh, details. However, I want to be sure that I'm not tripped up by my lack of foresight to police procedures. Oh, sure, 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 yeah. Mm. Uh... Who are you calling? The police, but you'll probably get sent to Belgium, Mr. Diamond, your ethics... Ethics about concealing or helping a murder, a free passage to sing Sing. The phone, put it down quickly. Oh, my. Isn't that shiny, a real gun? Those things are illegal, you know. Must you shake it so much? Uh, oh, sorry, I, I'm a little nervous. Oh, Swile, well, you're nervous. Hey, quiet, quiet, I'm thinking. This visit has obviously been an error, but perhaps not a fatal one. Let's see. I have it. Into the closet. What? With my bicycle? It'll be too crowded. Your bicycle? Oh, my exercise bicycle. That's my... There's my roaring board. Oh, be quiet. Start walking. Oh, this is ridiculous. Now open that door. Oh, okay. Uh, Now that bicycle, it has a seat? Oh, yes. Sit on it. So, the Diamond Detective Agency sat in the stuffy closet listening to the sound of the desk being pulled over and jammed against the door. Not having anything better to do except call myself names, I rode. On my fifth lap around the world, I gave birth to a brain child and began applying the art of leverage against the blockaded door using both legs and the flat of my back. Result? A Charlie horse. On the third lap following, I came up with something more substantial a heavy barbell. Four smashes and three torn ligaments later, the thin door collapsed over the desk, blocking it. I picked my way over the debris, trying to focus my eyes to the light. By instinct, more than sight, I found the phone. But as I reached to pick it up, I suddenly realized I was shaking hands with someone.
4: Back up, Diamond.
3: Oh, this is getting ridiculous, all my clients waving guns at me.
4: I'm no client, Diamond. Mr. Johns wants to keep you company for a while.
3: Oh, well, you're a small one.
4: This gun makes me a big one, Diamond, real big. That's why my nickname is Big Man, even though I'm only four feet tall. Well, maybe I could help you. I've got a lot of exercise things. Be funny or shut up. How about a
3: few yo-yo lessons?
4: <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. Shut up.
3: Big Man, what would happen if I took that gun away from you?
4: You want to try?
3: I was giving it a thought. But on
4: second thought, uh, no. you yeah, smart, shamus. I can empty this magazine in your stomach before you make two steps. <laughs> Rick,
5: I... Oh, I didn't know
4: you had a client. Take it easy, Diamond. I got a gun in my pocket. Uh, uh Helen, Helen, baby, come
3: in. Uh, uh, meet big man McCarthy and old Old pal from PS69. Big man, this is uh, Miss Asher. Oh,
4: yes, delighted, Mr. McCarthy. Eh, hey, same here, chick. Say, pal, you got good taste. Some built. Oh, <laughs> such a flatterer. Rick, what happened to your closet?
3: Uh, the termites broke my non-aggression pact. Uh, what's on your mind, baby?
5: Well, I came to see if you were ready for the benefit tonight. You are, aren't you? Oh,
3: well, am I. Just watch this new yo-yo trick. They call it round the
5: world. Oh, wonderful. Oh, Rick, you know so many things. Where'd you learn that? The PS 69 of course. Where else, Mr. McCarthy? Do it again, Rick. I want to see how you do it. Sure,
3: baby, just watch. You take it in your hand like this and throw it out like this.
5: (laughs) Oh, yes.
3: No. Well, that poor little man had a big nasty gun in his pocket and it was pointed right at my breakfast.
5: Why, that horrible. This... Why didn't you hit him harder? He might have hurt you. Oh, darling, are you sure you're all right? I'm sure, baby. Well, you send for the police. He should be behind... Now, us...
3: look, Helen, this is my department. You'll go along with your errands.
5: Please. Rick, he's dangerous. Helen,
3: will you go away? I have a few questions I want to ask this little hood and you'll be of no help, believe me. Well,
5: all right, but you be careful. Oh, and uh, about tonight... It's not at my apartment, but the park is penthouse up above in the same building. Now, come early and help Francis and me get things ready. Stop pushing. I'll see you tonight, baby. Oh, Rick. Are you sure I can't stay? Go, scat.
3: Now, for you, Mr. Big Man. Come here. Wake up. Wake up. The mule train went that way. Come on.
4: Come out of it.
6: (sighs) Ah. Ah.
3: That's you, huh? Yeah, me. Now, what's the real name of your boss? Who's he gonna kill?
4: You can't stop the questions, Diamond. I'm not gonna talk.
3: You want me to wring it out of you like a wet wash? Who is Mr. Johns?
4: You know, there's a big advantage in being little Diamond.
3: Yeah, you can hide under smaller rocks.
4: <laughs> Who's your boss? There's another advantage, too. Man my size can be awfully hard to catch. What?
0: Hey, come back here. Oh.
6: oh.
3: Shall <laughs> He never looked so good. Shut up, Otis. He's really been worked over. Wonder what gang did this to him. Rick, Rick, snap out of it. Oh, oh, Rick, what happened? Oh, just came through the door. Oh. What? Coming through the door couldn't wreck you like that. Oh, without opening it? You mean. Oh, no. You got that shiner by running into the door? <laughs> Shut up, Otis. Okay, Rick, where's the body? Uh, beside you. That's Otis. I mean, where's the corpse? Uh, the corpse isn't a corpse yet. Otis, get my bicarbonate. The yellowtilt. Go on, Rick. The corpse isn't a corpse. Tell me, what is it? A ghost? Exactly. Otis? The yellowtilt. Now, Rick, do me a favor. Please tell me what you're talking about. Oh, you aren't trying, Walt. All I said was that the corpse isn't a corpse yet and that it's a ghost because I don't know who's going to be the corpse. Rick, before I go stark raving mad, will you tell me what you're talking about? a man came into my office this morning, said he was going to commit a murder. Threw a gun on me when I started to call you. Locked me in a closet. I broke out, only to find he left this little man, big man, the midget who just ran out of here. Stop, please. So Helen came in. I turned the tables on big man. She left. I asked questions, drew a blank. Big man started to run. When'd you nab him? He ran through the door. I ran into it. You're up to date. (laughs) I'm up to date. Get him. I'm up to my ears in confusion. So we've got a man who's going to murder someone. All right, what's his name? He said Johns, but it's a phony. Initials on his briefcase read J.B. Say, Shamus, what do you look like? Uh, Otis, do you have a son? Oh, you know I don't. That's what he looked like. Rick, are you sure this J.B. is planning to kill someone tonight? Well, if he isn't, he sure took a lot of pains for nothing. Let's get down to headquarters. I want to check the files. Mm, Okay, but we don't keep files on ghosts. Oh, by the way, why did you come up here? Helen called. Said you were holding a pigeon for us. Oh, lovely girl. I'll say... Can
5: I have a dance with her at the benefit tonight?
3: Uh no, Otis, I think I better fix you up with Francis. Well, Otis, you gravel head. Francis is a butler.
5: It's oh, all right, lieutenant. I like them foreign dames.
3: Well, that's all the pictures, Walt. I've looked them all. John's doesn't have a record, neither he does a big man. No, they wouldn't. One time we get a chance to stop a murder before it's committed, and we've even got a good description of the potential killer. Walt, this this J.B. was no bum. Not even an ordinary working man. His clothes are expensive, and the briefcase he carried probably cost more than your weekly salary. Now, it's an even bet he belongs to the social upper crust. That or close to it. Well, that would narrow the field a lot, but still... How I... about the newspapers, Walt? They have society reporters who know anyone who is anyone... It's a long shot, but name, name me a better. You can go through the newspaper morgues; They might have a picture of Oh, some. no, no, well, no pictures. I'm nearly blind from looking at pictures now. Thanks, but I'll try the reporters with a description. It sounds like you're going to search for a needle in a haystack. Oh, Otis, please, your cliché is showing. Ah, uh, that's screwy. You can't kid me. Only dames wear clichés. How could mine be showing? Sergeant, when you die, will your brain to a clinic. Maybe they'll discover a cure for it. Ah, lay off. Besides, I got a good idea for your investigation. I wouldn't miss hearing this for my next two issues of Batman. Yeah, I was thinking you could maybe save a lot of time if you got an artist to draw a picture from your description. They do it in all the movies and catch crooks easy. Otis, how would you like a transfer to Staten? Wait a minute, wait a minute. He may have an idea. I know where there's an artist who could sketch J.B. from a description. It's crazy, but you may as well try it, Rick. Otis, you can drive him there. Uh, uh, Lieutenant. Uh, tell him yes, Walt. I can't stand to see him cry. All right, Otis, you can use the siren. <laughs> <laughs> Us, it's right at the head of the stairs. Uh, who is this guy? Her uh, name's Vladimir, and be careful. He's temperamental. Oh, that's okay. I've been vaccinated.
7: What, walk, walk. Open up, Vladimir. Runga Go away. My name's Patrick O'Brien.
3: It's Diamond, not
7: the landlord. Comrade, come in. Stalin.
3: No, Vladimir, that's Sergeant
7: Otis. What a startle he gave me.
3: Vladimir, can you sketch a man's face from a description?
7: Can I sketch a man's face from a description? Can I sketch? Did I not once sketch the whole Russian army and with one pencil? Okay, Vladimir, but can you do it? Comrade, you doubt it? I am the greatest artist that's impossible. I can draw a... Comrade, you are paying cash money. Cash money? Oh, for that I can draw you Siberia and never miss a salt mine. I'm such a genius, I can't stand myself.
3: Another man, Vladimir. Can you sketch the man's face? I think so. Okay, but make it fast. I'll give you the general idea and correct you as you
7: go. Corrections you can make. One criticism, I go back to my shave cream signs. Come with me to my hizzle.
3: Well, almost, Vladimir, but the nose still isn't quite right. Make it look a little more like a pickle. Sweet? Dill. Off that side, just a pinch.
7: Oh, Like this? Yeah. Yeah, you've done it. That's him. How much do I owe you? For you, comrade, $100. What? $50. A buck. Sell my genius for a buck? I die first. A buck and a quarter. Uh, Comrade, please, I'm capitalist now. A buck and a half. Last price. I wouldn't... Last price, last I take it. But I may die.
3: If you do, give me a call. It's a good
7: job, Vladimir. But of course. Was I not the artist to sketch the Tsar himself? Of course, it didn't pay so well, but was great honor. Looks pretty fuzzy to me. Comrade Diamond, your patronage I appreciate. But if you must bring along this peasant, don't. Even his face makes me sick with the repulse. Good.
3: Otis, come on. You'll have to pardon him, Vladimir. Whenever his shoelaces come untied, his brains slip out. See you later. When we left Vladimir, I sent Otis back to Walt and took off for the newspapers. I showed the sketch to one society reporter after another and watched the many heads shake my eyes began to cross. It was 6.30 when I finished playing Quizmaster and there was no use kidding myself. I had struck out. I had to tell Walt, so I started for the 5th Precinct. I was at a point where I'd have hocked my Social Security for 30 seconds with a little big man. Then as I walked down the street, I suddenly felt the nerves in my spine jump down into the pit of my stomach and goose pebbles skidded up my back like scared rice. It was a feeling I'd had before. So without turning, I headed for the steps of a basement apartment. Well, I got my meeting with Big Man all right and came within inches of being a vamp into a Gabriel Solo. Big Man apparently thought his shots hit pay dirt. But when I peeked over the top of the stairs, he was in his car and going. I took in the torn knees of my pants, said a few messages to the spirit world that would have barred me from any seance, and hauled what was left of the Diamond Detective Agency to see Walt Levinson. Well, you can have it, Walt. This is getting ridiculous. Beating my brains out getting shot at and for what? Shot at? That's right. I said shot at. You can have the whole stupid mess. I like to get fees for playing post office with slugs. And if a guy gets killed, call me. I'll help with the embalming. But, but... Oh, but nothing. It's seven o'clock and I'm not sticking around to split a three-way crying job over a killing that may already have happened. I'm going to Hellas and get a drink.
6: Oh, all
3: right. Go ahead, Rick. There's nothing more you can do anyhow. I'll see you later. All right. And you stop looking like a panda with a belly-agotus.
7: No, what did I do? Oh, shut up. Uh, hey, where
3: you going? I'm going out and punch the first little guy I can find right in the nose, just on general principles. I left the precinct and headed for Helen's party. I remembered that the benefit was being held in the penthouse and went on up. I was surprised to find Helen's butler, Francis, opening the door.
7: Good evening, Mr. Depp. Oh, my, did you have an accident?
3: This day has been an accident, Francis. But if you mean my clothes, I was playing spin the bottle with a bulldozer. You do
7: look a little battered, if I may say so, sir.
3: You ought to see the bulldozer. What are you doing opening the door up here?
7: Oh, the Parker's butler was taken ill, sir. As I was helping Miss Asher with the decorations anyway, I remain to take his place for this evening.
3: Is she here?
7: Yes, she's in the living room, sir.
3: Thanks, I'll go on in. Over here. Hello, baby.
5: What, Get you, a bus?
3: Just a door and a sidewalk. The bus I get later.
5: Oh, Wig. And just look at your suit. It's ruined.
3: Now, what's with the concern over my suit? You lobbying for my tailor?
5: I wanted you to look your very best tonight. Here, let me see those knees. Come on, sit over here. That's it. Now. Oh, well, they're not as bad as I thought.
3: Oh, cheer up. Maybe they'll get infected. That'll help.
5: Who did this
3: to you, Rick? Our sweet little friend of this morning, Big Man. Or I should say his boss, J.B. He's the one who sent Big Man after me.
5: J.B. A
3: specter. Sent to haunt me for my past sins. He hired the little killer you saw me sock with my yo-yo. Your
5: yo? Oh, you haven't lost your yo-yo,
3: have you? Oh, Helen, baby. Your Ricky's nearly been killed. Must you worry about my yo-yo?
5: I'm sorry, but it is all right.
3: In my pocket, here. See? Good as new.
5: Oh, that's fine. Now, what about this J.B. person? Why did he send Big Man to kill you, Rick?
3: Because I know he's going to commit a murder tonight. Maybe doing it right now. Wait
5: a minute. You said Big Man. Did you let him go this morning? Uh,
3: yeah, yeah. I let him go. And I've worn my feet off up to my eyebrows trying to find out who his boss is and who's on the spot to get knocked off.
5: Oh, poor Ricky. I wish I could help you.
3: It's not me that needs help now. I quit. It's the guy J.B. is after.
5: J.B., uh... Are those his real initials?
3: Yeah. No, we've had lots of things to go on initials, descriptions, even a sketch of him. Here, yeah, I've got it in my pocket, for all the good it did.
5: Oh, wait, don't tear it up. Let me look at it. Oh, Wegg, silly. This is no murderer. That's a sketch of Johnny Blackwell. It's a. Helen,
3: you know who this man is?
5: Of course. It's Johnny Blackwell from Newport. He and his wife are up here visiting Adam Worcester. Uh, Rick, what is it? You're you're all turning blue.
6: All
3: day long, I... When you were in my office, you could...
7: Oh, if I'd
3: only ask Helen... Yes, Rick? Give me some cyanide. No water.
5: Oh, but you must be mistaken about the sketch. Johnny Blackwell can't be a murderer. Well, I'm
3: getting out of here. Where can
5: I find him? If you'll just sit still, he'll come to you. Adam Wister's bringing him and his wife to the benefit tonight. <laughs>
3: That's the way the screwy world works sometimes. One minute you're on your uppers. With a stick of bologna, you're trying to hold off three guys with swords. Then Kismet makes a switch and tags your side for a gain in your living. I called Walt to pass on the good news, and in eight and a half minutes by the clock, he joined me with Sergeant Otis in the kitchen from where we could peek out at the growing crowd. Let me take a look, Rick. Has Blackwell come in yet? Stay back. I'll let you know. Otis... Get out of that icebox. Oh, I'm hungry. You heard me. Oh,
6: there's
3: fried chicken, Lieutenant. Fried chicken? Mm, I haven't had... Oh, that's... Oh. Walt, Walt, come take a look. There's Wolf. Where? Over there, just sitting down. The man with the sandy hair. Yeah, yeah, I see him. Who are those people with him? Well, the woman must be his wife. Oh, but get a load of the little weasel. That's Big Man, the guy who got away from me this morning. Oh, and the other man? Must be Adam Wister. Helen said he was bringing the Blackwells. Well, he did, so now we wait for the play. Well, we waited and watched the Blackwell party settle down to enjoy itself. Big Man acted like he hadn't eaten for a week and made hors d'oeuvres vanish in his mouth like marbles down a manhole. After what seemed like weeks, the situation grew suddenly took shape. On Blackwell's urging, big man rose to dance with Mrs. Blackwell. Mrs. Blackwell was a dark-haired honey with curves right out of one of my better dreams. But my mind was on her husband and Worcester. As soon as they had the chance, they got up and headed out of the room. Watch them, Rick. They're headed for the library. Come on, this way. Through this door and down the hall.
7: Well, Adam, it's nice to be visiting you again. So glad to have you, Johnny. We sorry to hear about your losses in the market last year. The story here was that you were cleaned out. Hey,
4: Diamond, what's he saying? Shut
3: up. Oh, I still have a little money, Adam. In fact, I'd like to buy back in with you as a partner. You don't have that much, Johnny. Your wife won't give it to you. She may, Adam. She may, and quicker than you think. Walt, come on. We picked no, the wrong victim. victim
4: Let's let find it a big man. It's nice on the terrace, Mrs. Blackwell. Yeah, real nice out here. I don't like it. It's chilly. Oh, it'll warm up, Mrs. Blackwell.
5: No, I'm going back in. Better not. I don't like the way you're acting, big man. Get out of my way.
4: Get back and shut up.
5: How dare you talk to me like that, you little... No, I'm
4: big, Mrs. Blackwell. Real big. <gasps> Gun? What in the world? I'm gonna kill Kill me? Yeah. Only it'll look like an accident. Boy, this is ridiculous. What kind of a joke is this? <laughs> it's no joke, Mrs. Blackwell. Your husband don't think it's no joke. He wanted me to tell you he was real sorry. Now I'm going to kid you. You mean it? You really mean it? Yeah, sure, Mrs. Blackwell. Mister. Blackwell needs your dough bad. Back up. He can have it all of it. Only don't kill me. Don't. Sorry, Mrs. Blackwell. Too no. late. Now start back.
6: Please, please. Over to that
4: wall. You're going to play Humpty Dumpty. Oh. That's right.
6: Now
4: get oh, up no, on the wall. No, no, I'm a guy who's willing to help you. Oh, no. Me too. <laughs> Simon,
2: why
5: are you... Catch the girl, Walt. Right. Big man's mine.
6: He, he was going to kill me. Oh, All
3: <laughs> right, Mrs. Blackwell. Take her inside, Otis. Rick, you okay? Yeah, yeah, getting my hands on this little rat was better than a year's vacation. Well, we sure heard enough to give both him and Blackwell a long vacation on the state. Keep him on ice. I'll collect the other one. I'll be delighted. Oh, my joy. Oh, waking up? What a shame. (laughs) What a lovely party. I do love these informal get-togethers, don't you, big man? Uh, It was short but very sweet, the wind-up of the no-one-was-murdered case. The score was the kind to make you forget you didn't get a fee. Two killers caught, no victims. When I saw Walt take the little big man, not so big without his gun, and his boss Blackwell off to the Bastille... My worries melted like a snowman in a blast furnace. And speaking of melting, the lovely Mrs. Blackwell showed signs of being upset. So, what could I do but console the pretty little thing?
8: Oh, Mr.
5: Diamond, I think you were so wonderful and brave.
3: Oh, you show a few nice points yourself, Mrs. Blackwell, and call me Rick.
5: You saved my life, Rick. And call me Rita. You can get to the point quick. Why, Rita. Oh, there you are, Mrs. Blackwell. I know you must be terribly upset. Rick has been a great comfort to me. I bet he has. But I've arranged for Francis to take you home. Uh, now. Now? Oh, Oh, thank you, Miss Asher. And Rick. Yes? Don't worry about the name calling. Just say, hey, you. I'll know what you mean.
3: I think I know what you mean. By you. Well? So help me, I'm innocent.
5: With lipstick on your collar?
3: That Otis. I've warned him to be careful with my shirts. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, time for my yo-yo act? Your act.
5: Oh, Rick, about
3: that... No, no, no. Look, I've worked my finger to the bone practicing. Don't tell me. uh, Why, you specifically asked me to be here tonight. Uh, I... I know.
5: And... Come on with me over to the bandstand.
3: Oh, no. No, you don't. I'm an artist tonight, not a singer.
5: No sing, no yo-yo.
3: You mean if I sing, I can do my yo-yo act?
5: If you make it pretty.
3: Ah, uh, it's blackmail,
5: but I'll do it. Well, you stay right here. I want to talk to the orchestra leader. Okay, I'll practice. Well. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Richard Diamond, his piano, and his yo-yo. <laughs> Thing
3: good, Rick. Like a robin with a sponsor. Are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright.
2: Cause I only have eyes for
3: you, dear. The moon may be high, but I can't see a thing in the sky.
2: Cause I only have eyes. For you, I don't know if we're in a garden
3: or on a crowded avenue. You are here, so am I. Maybe millions of people go by,
2: but they all disappear. From you, and I only have eyes for you.
6: And now,
5: Mr. Diamond will present an exhibition of dexterity. Now, now.
3: Oh, no, Shamus, no. You're doing it all wrong. You gotta use more wrist action. Oh, to stay out of the act. Oh, come on, let me show you. Here, give it to me. Now, you, you start it down, like this. Helen. <laughs>
5: yes, Rick, he's better. Uh,
3: let's go home and neck.
5: Wait till I get my hat. <laughs>
2: You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Helen was played by Virginia Gregg, Lieutenant Levinson by Ed Begley. Also in our cast were Wilms Herbert, Hans Conreid, Grace Albertson, Sidney Miller, and High Everback. Music was under the direction of Frank Wirth. Tonight's story was written by Herb Purdom and edited and directed by Blake Edwards. Portions of the program were Transcribed. Dick Powell soon will be seen in the screen version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. Now, this is Tal Avery inviting you to be with us again at the same time next week when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective.
1: Stay tuned for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Yours truly, Johnny Duller. I get notes from listeners saying this is one of their favorite shows. Tonight's episode, entitled Chicago Fraud.
6: From Hollywood, it's time now for John Lund as Johnny
9: Dollar. Niles Hartley, Johnny. Columbia Live. Niles, how are you? I thought you were in Chicago these days. I am. This is long distance. We have one here that's a pimp. Tell me about it. One of our brokers wrote a $50,000 straight life policy on a man named Lane.
6: Mr. Lane up and dropped dead a couple of days ago. Uh Uh-huh. You'll never guess why.
9: Why? He starved to death. What? Honest. He died of malnutrition. A man could afford to buy that much life insurance, but he couldn't buy himself a hamburger? Interested? Very. Get yourself an airplane, boy. I'll be waiting for you. John Lund in the transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar to the Columbia Life and Accident Insurance Company Meston Building, Chicago, Illinois. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Chicago fraud matter. Expense account item one. Seventy-eight dollars thirteen cents. Plain fare and incidentals, Hartford to Chicago. I had breakfast at the airport, took the limousine into town, found a hotel room, then checked in with Niles Hartley at the claims division. Chicago's blustery climate seemed to agree with him. He was a little bigger than I remembered, a little ruddier, but efficient as ever. I wrote a special delivery to the insurance commission in Springfield this morning, explained we were holding up payment pending a routine investigation of the claim. Uh-huh. But the faster we move on this, the better off we'll be, Johnny. They're going to ask questions, and we'll have to get ourselves some answers. Have they asked any yet? No, but the beneficiaries—Lane's sister, name is Lydia Staley. She's called him, and she's called us a couple of times, wanting to know what's what. Tough. She could be, I guess. She has money of her own, some influence, and so on. A lot of money, trust stuff, very comfortably fixed. But she's pretty upset by the whole business. You see, I had to stick my horn in right away and request the coroner to hold the body until we got something done. How so? Lane died on the street with no identification on him. By the time they did find out who he was, a routine PM had already been performed to determine cause. The county was going to bury him. With $50,000 worth of insurance? Yeah. Well, the first thing that occurred to me when I saw this report was that it might not be Lane at all. Uh, Signs of the malnutrition. Here, these findings. Chronic heart condition. Lung history. debility. Certainly doesn't sound like anybody we'd insure. Well, Lane took a physical before the policy was issued, didn't he? Yeah, sure. Uh Uh-huh. Here's a copy of it. He was 100% okay, then. How could he pass it with all these things wrong with him? Good question, Johnny. Like to find the answer? Yeah. What's that doctor's name? Dr. Walter Unger, Suite 1932, Michigan Building. account item two, $3.50. Taxi fare through Chicago's slushy streets to the offices of Dr. Walter Unger, who had been licensed to practice medicine in the state of Illinois in 1946. He was a Northwestern University Medical School graduate. And I'd given the Married, had two children, and lived in Glencoe, a North Shore suburb. Day and night. His income and practice, according to report, were average. Oh, good. Yeah, Drop in tomorrow. Goodbye. I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar. You were saying... I'm from the Columbia Life Insurance People, Doctor. Claims Division. I'd like to get some information about a man you examined on July 14th of last year. All right. I hope this won't take long. Uh, What is it you want to know? The man's name was Christopher Lane. You happen to remember him? Christopher Lane. No, I can't say that I do, Mr. Dollar. What about it? Well, uh, first I'd like to know... Is this your signature? Mm -hmm. Yes, those are my letterheads. I suppose that's my signature. Aren't you sure? How many people are certain of their signatures? It looks like mine, Mr. Dollar. I can't say for sure that it is or isn't. Well, assuming that it is, what about these notes? Are these in your handwriting? Yes, I would say that was also my handwriting. Mr. Dollar, I'd appreciate it very much if you'd get on with whatever business you have here. According to this, you gave Mr. Lane a complete physical... ...and pronounced him sound. I did. Anything unusual about that? He died two days ago, Doctor. I wish you insurance people would buy some books on heart diseases... ...and read them and know them, not take up valuable time. Look here. This patient was 41 years old. If he had no heart condition when I examined him... ...obviously he didn't, according to my cardiographic findings... ...it's entirely reasonable to assume that he could have developed one in a very short time. You people gauge that in your premium. Mr. Lane didn't die of heart trouble, Doctor. He died of malnutrition. Malnutrition? That's what the pathologist at the coroner's office says. Here, look for yourself. Well, he should know. Was it possible for you to overlook that condition at the time you examined him? No. No. if he'd been suffering from malnutrition in any degree, I would have discovered it. According to the coroner's report, he'd been ill for a year or better. Can you explain that, Dr. Onger? No, I can't explain that. I wish I could. All I can say is that I did my job. I examined the man reported my findings. How about this? In China. I could have missed that, I suppose. But it's unlikely with the degree of aggravation noted here. Did you x-ray, Mr. Lane? Certainly. It's part of the examination. Have you had much experience reading chest x-rays, Doctor? Mr. Dollar, I know my business. If there'd been any lesions in that man's chest, I would have reported. Doctor, just bear with me, please. Again, the coroner's man said they were old lesions. So I notice. I can't explain that either. Well, you can understand why we want to be thorough about this. Yes, yes, I do. And I wish I could help you. You keep a file copy of all examinations? Yes, certainly. I'd like to see your file on this one, if I may. Of course. Anything else? Yeah. Another hour of your time. What, well, for? I'd like to have you look at Mr. Lane's body, doctor. I could get an injunction. All right. I'll be finished here at seven o'clock. <laughs> Expense account item three, six dollars and a half, more cab fare. To and from City Morgue. Dr. Unger viewed the mortal remains of Christopher Lane and was unable to state definitely whether he'd ever seen the man. The next day, all of the personnel connected with Dr. Unger's office made a trip to the morgue. None of them recognized the body either. However, I had better luck with the elevator operator in Lane's apartment building.
6: <laughs>
9: you ever seen this man before, Miss Shattuck? Yeah.
10: Yes, sir. That's Mr. Lane's apartment 233. You're positive? Oh, yeah. I've seen him every day for almost two years.
9: Okay. Want to smoke?
10: I'm going to get out of here. Sure. I don't know why I'm acting this way. I've seen him that way a hundred times. What? I mean, almost like that, out stone I mean, I guess it's because I knew he was just drunk then, not dead. Oh, I see. So he was crazy. Was he? He was carrying on the way he did. feels good to be out here again, cold enough.
6: Yeah.
10: I'll take that smoke now, Mr.
6: Dollar. Oh, sure.
10: Thanks. Yeah, he used to get up around 10 every morning. I'd take him downstairs. look awful, but he was always kind of nice. Polite, you know? Mm
6: Mm-hmm.
10: He'd go out to the store and come back in a little while with a sack of groceries, find a milk for his cat, and donuts for himself, and and booze. Then he'd just lock himself up in his apartment and stay there all day. Drinking? Oh, yeah. Fried to the ears by noon. I think it was wine.
9: The janitor and the maid, as well as the doorman and the desk clerk, further verified the fact that Lane had been drinking heavily for better than 18 months prior to his death. No one seemed to know why. Not even his sister. She turned out to be a woman of 30 or more. Well-tailored, well-groomed, and bad-mannered.
8: I wish you'd take your briefcase and get out of here, Mr. Dollar.
9: I'm sorry you feel that way, Mrs. Staley. Chris
8: drank himself to death. I don't know why. I, I just know he did it. He's dead. He named me his beneficiary. Why don't you pay me what you owe me?
9: We will, Mrs. Staley, if the circumstances are right. So far, we have a reasonable doubt. Oh. And this investigation is for your benefit as much as it is ours.
8: What do you mean by that?
9: When we've satisfied ourselves one way or the other, your claim can be
8: settled. Well, what is it you want to know? I haven't seen my brother in over a year. I, I can't tell you anything about him.
9: Were you on good terms with him?
8: Of course I was. Left me his insurance money, didn't he?
9: Understands you're a widow, Mrs. Staley.
8: I don't see what bearing Do you have that any I... dependents? No children, that's what you mean.
9: And the insurance money would have gone to you alone?
8: Let me correct you. The money will come to me alone. I don't know what you people think you can do trying to weasel out of this, but I've already spoken with my attorneys, and they've advised me to sue for an immediate settlement.
6: Are they
9: aware of the facts of this matter?
8: They certainly are.
9: And they still advise you to bring suit?
8: They certainly did.
9: Well, perhaps I can save you some fees and then some time. Who are your lawyers, Mrs. Staley?
8: Never mind. you will find out soon enough.
9: All right. I'll tell you what I tell them. You can pass it on. Your brother could have died quietly in his bed one night, and any doctor would have pronounced him a heart failure, and your claim would have been good. But he made the mistake of dropping dead on a public street, and the police took over. And before he was properly identified, an autopsy had been performed.
8: Yes, and I'm going to sue the city. And from
9: that autopsy, we know your brother couldn't possibly have passed an insurance examination.
8: But he did pass it, Mr. Dollar. He came to me the day after he'd taken the exam and told me I was his beneficiary.
9: You said you hadn't seen him for over a year. He took the exam last summer.
8: Oh, right. I I saw him that one time. He might
9: have come to you, but he didn't come to you about passing that exam. Now,
8: listen here. Your brother
9: never took that exam. What? Someone went up to the doctor's office and took it for him. Mrs. Staley, we aren't fools. Now, we're going to find out who that someone was and how it was done. We're used to all sorts of tricks in this business and all sorts of bluffing, too. You can sue us for settlements. You can sue us all over the place. With what we have right now, we'd just love to meet you in a court. I'm talking facts to you, Mrs. Staley, and I wish you'd talk them to me.
8: Get out of here. Get out of here, you cheap snooper, before I call a policeman and have you thrown out. (laughs)
9: A case with an autopsy report and a dead man who should never have been insured. The doctor who examined him and passed him couldn't explain why. His sister, the beneficiary, explained even less. I left her under the surveillance of a leg man provided by Niles Hartley and decided to talk with the insurance broker who'd written up the policy. His name was Rutherford, and he looked insurance from the top of his iron gray hair to the tips of his highly polished brown shoes. I suppose you are Mr. Dollar. Mr. Rutherford? Yeah, come in, come in. I was surprised when you called me. We're trying to wrap this thing up, Mr. Rutherford. I understand. I'll tell you, I've been writing insurance for 17 years, Mr. Dollar, and this is the first time anything like this has ever occurred to me. So? I believe you, Mr. Rutherford. And your record. Uh Oh? You've looked into me? Well, you know, we have to on a thing like this. Just a matter of routine checking. Yeah. I'm here to find out all I can about the circumstances under which you sold the policy to Mr. Lane. Mm
10: Mm-hmm.
9: He was a bachelor. He lived in a fairly nice apartment on the Gold Coast. No dependents. I'd like to know what made him a prospect. Well, actually, it's more of a personal thing, I suppose. Uh, Mrs. Rutherford and I were interested in buying a home in Met a couple of years ago. It was one we liked on Sheridan Road. The agent happened to be this man Lane. That's how we became acquainted. Oh, Lane was in the real estate business, on and off. Actually, he didn't really have to work for a living at all. He had a fairly comfortable income from trusts set up by his father. Did he do very well in real estate? Well, I don't really think so. I don't think he worked hard at it. You met him when you were out to buy a house. Did you buy it? No. My wife died suddenly, and I had no need to buy a house. But he bought insurance from you. Yes, eventually. You say this was a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. Did you try to sell him right away? Oh, I don't recall. I called him now and then, had him over for dinner. I was surprised, frankly, when he decided to buy. Uh-huh. What kind of a man was he? What do you mean? Well, your opinion, Mr. Rutherford. Well, Mr. Client, Mr. Alvarez, he is the same as any other client. How did he look? Hmm? Well, pale, thin, healthy, emaciated. What? He looked fine to me. Hmm. I, uh, noticed you arranged for the examination. Yes. How well do you know Dr. Unger? Well, just slightly. You know, the physician is supposed to be an impartial third party, and when a client has to be examined by a physician, I send him to Dr. Hunger. that's all. I get a Christmas card from him every year. Uh-huh. I see. You, uh, say you had Lane over for dinner a few times. Yes, when my wife was alive. Did he drink much on those occasions? I don't recall. Why? His malnutrition resulted from an alcoholic condition. All drinking. No eating. Lame and alcoholic. He sure was, had been for years. Can I use your phone? Yes, help me, Hello, Johnny Dollar, Niles.
3: Oh, glad you called, Johnny. I'm trying to reach you. What's up? Mrs. Staley's fighting back.
9: Huh?
3: Her lawyers served notice on us an hour ago.
9: Well, nothing to worry about there. Just a bluff. Oh, but this wasn't. She made the coroner release her brother's body. Took it to a crematorium. Exhibit A's a pile of ashes by now. Oh. I can try something here. We'll try it. Right. Mr. Rutherford. All finished? Yeah. Mr. Rutherford, I'm afraid you're in a little trouble. What are you? You couldn't have written that policy or known Christopher Lane without being aware of his drinking habits. Now, see here, Dollar, I've been an insurance broker for a good long time and no one has ever questioned my integrity. And I think that's what you were banking on, your reputation. I'm sorry for you, Mr. Rutherford, but there had to be a collusion here. And you're the logical party. You arranged for someone to take Lane's examination. You were going to split with... In the three minutes it took me to get my breath inside of me and my feet under me, he was well away and out of sight. I used his telephone a second time. I told Niles Hartley what had happened and then made a beeline for Lydia Staley's place.
8: What do you want?
9: I'm here to tell you about all the trouble you're in, Mrs. Staley. Rutherford's given it away.
8: What are you talking about? About an insurance
9: policy that was written up and issued in your brother's name under fraudulent circumstances. You're the one who stood to gain most, but you had to have help to pull it off. Rutherford helped you.
8: I don't know anybody named Rutherford. Now, look here.
9: No, I... you know you look here. Rutherford just slugged me and beat it. But he isn't going to run far. Principally because he doesn't know how to run. He'll cool off, and he'll begin thinking about all this business in a new light. A few minutes ago, it dawned on him what he'd done. He'd kicked his whole lifetime right out the window. He's been found out. He's lost all around. And he's going to be mad. And you're the one he's going to be mad at.
8: I told you, I, I don't know anybody named Rutherford.
9: Well, then I'll tell you. He'll probably want to kill you. Oh. Do we talk now?
8: I don't see Why? I've done nothing wrong.
9: Who took that physical for your brother?
8: He took it himself.
9: You got your brother drunk enough to sign the insurance papers, didn't you?
8: I had nothing to do with them.
9: (sighs) Okay, Mrs. Staley. We'll get it all from Rutherford.
8: Yes. Why don't you do that?
9: In the meantime, I hope you sleep well, knowing what you've done.
8: I've done nothing. And you'll never prove any of these things you've been saying. Never. (music) Never.
9: two days, it looked as if she might have been right. There was no way to involve Mrs. Staley without a statement from Rutherford. In the name of the company, Niles Hartley filed charges on attempted collusion against him, and a warrant was issued. The Chicago police were unable to find him anywhere. His apartment was watched 24 hours a day, as well as Mrs. Staley's residence. The case was stalemated. We couldn't locate Rutherford, but he found us. Johnny Dollar. This is Earl Rutherford. Where are you? Never mind. Uh, Dollar, they all know about me around Niles' office, huh? Just Niles and me. Huh? I'd like to explain some things to you so you can pass them on to Niles. I uh, I'd like to know why I did it. And, uh, well, before I leave town. You won't get far. There's a warrant out for you. I can get away, all right. Brother, Columbia doesn't want to prosecute you on these charges. The notoriety would be bad for them. If you'd make a statement, sign it, I think I could talk him into dropping the whole matter. Maybe we'd better get together. Come on over. No, I'll meet you at the Dearborn entrance to the Drummond. Fifteen minutes? I'll be there. Right. When I pulled up in a cab twelve minutes later, he was waiting for me at the curb in front of the Drummond. He was still wearing the same clothes he'd had on in his apartment. He needed a shave, and judging from the circles under his eyes, he hadn't slept much. He was pale and shaken. Expense account item four, 51 cents. Coffee and donuts for both of us. I met Lydia right after Miriam. My wife died. My children are both grown and married and have lives of their own. I guess I was very lonely. Sure. I became interested in Lydia, and we had a great many things in common. Seemed like the thing to do. I asked her to marry me. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, You don't understand. She laughed at me. No, I don't understand. I guess I'm not an exciting man, a witty one, or... She made me feel as though all my life had been hopeless. A waste. I'd missed a great deal. I asked her, Mr. Dollar, what is it? What do you want out of life? Is that when she brought up the proposition? I guess that's what gave her the idea. My trust pay her 500 a month for life. My commission's come to that. We could have lived very comfortably on a 1000 but Lydia talked of traveling of Europe, clothes. I don't know, things her family had had once. She wanted $50,000 in cash instead of money just trickling in every month, huh? I suppose so. I didn't understand her motive at first, but on. Well, she told me about her brother Christopher. He was a drunk. The doctors in New York gave him two years. I paid a man a hundred dollars to go to Dr. Unger's office and take the physical. What's the man's name? I wouldn't tell you that, Mr. Dollar. He's not involved in anything, and I don't want to get him into any trouble. After Lane was insured, you were going to wait for him to die? That was a general idea. Once I'd done it, it was too late to turn back. I mean, I wanted to at times, but a cancellation on a policy of that size would have been hard to explain. You're leaving something out. She had you, didn't she? Hmm? You were the goat. Legally, she was clear, right? Yes. She still is, isn't she? Unless you write all this down, or we can hold it over her head to prove collusion. Can you speak to Niles? He'll go along. The charges will be dropped if you'll make a statement. Okay. Enclosed find notarized statement of Earl Rutherford explaining his part in the attempted collusion regarding policy 678JN23L. True to his word, Niles hardly dropped charges against Rutherford upon receipt of the enclosed. Rutherford settled his affairs and left Chicago the following day. When Mrs. Staley was shown a carbon of the enclosed statement, she instructed her attorneys to withdraw a suit. The night I was to leave town, I called at her apartment to have her sign a release of all claims.
6: Help me, Mr. Dobbs. Which way did he go? Help me. Please help me. Please.
9: couch, did what I could, while startled tenants phoned for an ambulance and the police. After that, I began looking around. I found a dark stain on the windowsill leading out onto the fire escape, and on the floor, a blood-stained letter opener. There was no gun anywhere in sight. I decided that if I'd been stabbed with a letter opener, it'd be easier to try three flights up to the roof than 14 down to the alley. I was right. Rutherford was hanging over the top ledge of the building firing down at me. I ducked into a window frame one flight away from him.
6: Get away from me, Dollar!
9: You know I won't, Rutherford. You missed by a mile. You'll have to come down.
0: It's the end of the line for you. Don't
6: do anything for me.
0: I'm coming up after you. Come on, I'll be waiting for you.
9: Can you walk? No. Why did you do it, Rutherford? You're clear. you were free. You didn't have I, to. I, I didn't tell her the whole story. She told me tonight. Laughed at me. Said she was planning to run away with someone else when she got
6: the insurance money. Oh, I see. Earl
9: Rutherford died on the way to the receiving hospital. Mrs. Staley was dead when I got back to the apartment Expense account item five: 53 dollars. Hotel and food while in Chicago. Item six, same as item one. There back to Hartford. Expense account total, two hundred and nineteen dollars and seventy-seven cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars John Lund in the title role and was written
9: by E. Jack Newman with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Jack Moyles, Edgar Barrier, Peggy Weber, Mary Lansing, and John McIntyre. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Cumberly, inviting you to join us next week at this time when John Lund returns as... Yours truly... Johnny Dollar.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Life with Luigi, followed by Red Skelton. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast
0: is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.